This is Ready Radio, preparing you to be ready for anything. Now, here's your survival guide for Ready Radio, John Rush. All right, Ready Radio, KLZ 560, live show today. If you're listening to a replay, you'll know what date this is. It is August the 4th in the month, or sorry, the year is rolling by quickly. This month will roll by fast as always. That's just the way things are. If you get a chance to come out to the a big car show, you just heard an ad for that a moment ago, up on top of the hill in Broomfield at the old Jeffco Airport, now called the Rocky Mountain Regional Airport. If you get a chance to come to the car show, come by, say hi. We would appreciate that. I know they would as well. And all of the proceeds there go to support the Collector Car Council of Colorado, which for a lot of you guys that are car folk, they do a lot of things lobbying-wise to really help us as the motoring public is concerned. We'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow on air during Drive Radio. In the meantime, though, Ready Radio. And I've got a couple of things that Joe sent me. And then I wanted to get into today a couple of different topics, and we'll take this whatever direction you all want to. Lines are open, by the way, 303-477-5600. You can text us as well. The text line is 307-200-8222. I'm going to talk today about generators. More specifically, what do you need when it comes to your generators uh, You know, at home? You know, portable generator, uh, all the things associated with that. Who makes the better ones? What do you look for? All of that. I have had several questions on that here of late. Part of that is because of the new law that they are trying to pass, EPA is, whereby the current portable gas generator, as you know it, would no longer meet emission standards. And most of the companies out there have no ability to do that in the time frame that the EPA wants it done. So my position, I think a lot of others, is that once that gets enacted, you will have a run on current generators. The manufacturers are not allowed to make extras and stock up on the front side. They've told them that now. How in the world they control that? I have no idea. This is a little off topic from Ready Radio, but that's not the proper role of government, by the way, for those of you listening, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. It's not the government's role to tell a company what they can and can't make and or what they can stockpile. If they want to stockpile and take a risk and build a bunch of extra of whatever, that is their call. It has nothing to do with government, nor should they or the EPA or anyone, EPA's government, of course, but none of the agencies should be telling a company what they can and can't do. Frankly, if I was a company making generators, I'd tell them to go pound sand. I'd I'd stick my thumb right at them and say, poke them in the eye and say, no. Sorry, I'm making whatever I want to. You have no no right to tell us as a company what we can and cannot make. And if we want to stockpile certain SKUs of generators, we're going to do so. That's a whole other conversation I could probably get into on Rush to Reason during the week. But that is just blatant government overreach and, again, not their place. Now, some of you would say, well, but, you know, it's all, for, it's all for the earth. It's all for, you know, global warming and climate change. Well, I've got some things I'm going to play on that on Monday, by the way, that just continues to debunk that whole theory, which that's all it is, is a theory. There is no solid proof at all that the earth is warming. None. None whatsoever. Zero zilch. And we all know that increased carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide actually helps plant life and 
all of that as well. But I, I digress. We're going to talk about generators today. Not just gas-powered, but I'm going to get into some power bank generators as well. There's a lot on that, and I've done a lot of research there. They are expensive, and you really need to know the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to some of the what they call power banks, which I'll get into some of that as well. Bottom line being, how do you have backup power or power, you know, off-site or, you know, you're camping or whatever the case may be and you want to have power, one, you know, 120-volt power. I also did some checking, and the first thing I wanted to start off with today, because somebody piqued my interest, I think it was last show, and that is, will solar panels survive an EMP attack? So I did a little research this last week, as much time as I had, and I'll be honest, I didn't spend hours upon hours. I spent probably, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour. You know, time goes by pretty quickly when you're doing this stuff because you get sucked in and you start reading all sorts of things. So I, I did spend about 30 to 45 minutes studying some things, and I did happen to come across a pretty good article on superprepper.com. Yes, there is a website, superprepper.com. Great name, by the way. And his name uh, that, that runs this site and this particular individual is John Walter. He's a typical family man, except one thing, I'm also a passionate prepper. He works as a first responder, started Super Prepper in 2012 as a means to help other families who are in the process of using prepping as a way to take control of their own future. He and I ought to probably try to get together here and even have him on air. I'll do my best to reach out to him because he would fit right in. Anyways, he's got a big article on will solar panels be able to survive an EMP? And as I figured, the answer is we maybe don't know and it depends. In some cases, they may. In other cases, they may not. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that today because I think there's a lot of folks out there thinking, well, I'll put solar panels up and no matter what happens, and I'll put a, you know, a battery wall, you know, I'll put a, uh, a Tesla uh, battery wall in, whatever they call it, the, the, the power wall, and there's different types of that, but I'll put a power wall in and I'm good to go. EMP hits, I'm good. Well, not so fast, Sparky. You may not be. Now, I can tell you for sure that unless you've used something like the EMP shield to protect the devices in your solar system, just like any other electronics you'll have in your house, no, they're not going to work. They, they will be fried. If you do something like EMP shield and protect the devices in it, you might be okay. Now, I say might be okay because, as we will learn as I go through this, there's a lot of factors in this. And I kind of got to thinking on my own, okay, wait a minute, time out. There are electronics in solar panels. It's what they are. They're creating... DC current, direct current, out of the sun. Well, we all know that that just doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't just put up a sheet of glass and all of a sudden, boom, you've got power. It doesn't work that way. We're converting the energy of the sun in a solar panel to DC electricity. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a solar panel expert. 
I've kind of become a solar system expert because I've studied all sorts of them here in, in, the, in the past few months here. So I do know a lot more about them than I did, say, even a year ago. And I will tell you that I think in certain circumstances they work very well. So I'm not knocking them, especially on a small scale house by house basis. Large scale solar farms. Yeah, forget it. Waste of money, in my opinion. For what you're taking up land-wise and what you're gaining out of it, waste of money. Putting them on the rooftop of houses and commercial buildings and so on, that's a whole different story. Which, why we don't do more of that, given that you need no extra space to do so. We're not taking any land away from anything in doing it. To me, that makes the most sense. But Again, I don't want to digress. So, this particular article, he starts off saying, Recently, I was trying to determine how my family would survive in a scenario where the power goes out for a long period of time. After spending many hours figuring out how my home solar panels would factor into the equation, it dawned on me. What if the grid was down because of an EMP? There's a theory that there's only two things capable of surviving a nuclear blast, cockroaches and the Kardashians. Figured Charlie would enjoy that. That's great, but I wanted to know if I would still power or still have power out of my solar system after an EMP event. After doing extensive research and talking to some experienced electricians, I had my answer. Would solar panels survive an EMP attack? Depending on the strength of the electromagnetic pulse or the EMP, most solar panels would likely, again, keyword, they're likely not be affected. However, the larger the solar array is, the more likely there will be damage to the supporting equipment, including the wiring, charge controller, and inverter, like I said when I opened up. To me, that's kind of a given. The supporting equipment to run the solar panels, yeah, I would venture to guess that you're going to have problems with an EMP on those. The panels themselves, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, the panels themselves, hard to say, and that's what he's saying here. If you're listening to us, by the way, for the first time, thank you. We do this every Friday from 2 to 3 o'clock. I have three other shows that we do. Rush to Reason, heard daily here from 3 to 7 p.m. every day on KLZ 560. Fix It Radio, heard from 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, so tomorrow morning. And then Drive Radio, which I've done the longest of all of them for 20-plus years. Uh, again, right here on KLZ 560. That is from 10 to 1 every Saturday, and each show is designed for a different purpose. Fix It Radio is around the house. Kind of dovetails into what we're doing here. Drive Radio is strictly cars. People call in from all walks of life asking all sorts of different car questions. And then, as I said, we're going to be at a big car show event tomorrow with that show. And then, of course, here at Ready Radio, we're really doing our best to prepare you for the what-ifs of life. So if you're listening for the first time, thank you. You can find us at ready-radio.com. We put all of our shows up there. They're recorded. You can go back and listen to past shows. And we've done this now for well over a year and really appreciate all of you that have contributed to the show. Listen on a regular basis. Send me articles and information. I do appreciate it very much. So, depending upon the strength of the EMP depends on whether or not you'll have damage to your panels. He goes on to say, I want to be able to count on my home solar energy system to keep my household going before, during, and after an apocalyptic event. Safeguarding the power supply from an attack, nuclear or otherwise, is paramount to long-term survival. Panels need to remain accessible to the sun for obvious reasons, but the other system components do not. If it's possible to protect your solar system during an EMP event, how do I do it? And can it be repaired 
after taking a hit? These are tricky questions that he said he would help us with today. He's even got a, a, a YouTube video on this as well. So EMP, for all of you maybe listening for the first time, maybe you haven't heard that before, most have, but that stands for electromagnetic pulse. It's a short burst of electromagnetic energy that can induce currents into the electrical devices, potentially causing damage to such devices. Common sources of EMPs include lightning strikes, solar flares, and of course, nuclear detonations, by the way, that are not detonated on the ground, but high, high, high above the Earth's atmosphere. That's what makes him so dangerous. And as we've learned through talking to folks like Bill Forstgen, he was on with us a few weeks ago. He's an expert in this as well. That pulse goes all the way down into the earth and then back up. That's where a lot of these devices that even shield a car, where you put like this big tinfoil hat on a car, aren't going to work. Because the pulse isn't coming from the sky. I mean, it is, but really... Where it gets even more damaging is it's coming up from the ground. I know that's hard to explain, but that's what it does. Again, I'm not an electrical engineer either. I've just studied this, talked to different individuals, and that's my understanding of how things work. Now, given the fact that we haven't had one of these, there's lots of speculation around what will work afterwards and what won't, including some very unauthentic testing when it comes to automobiles and the like, as to what will run and work after an EMP strike versus other things. None of this is cut and dried, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of gray area when it comes to an EMP strike and what's hardened versus what isn't. And there's a lot of misconceptions that, oh, you know, that box is hardened. Well, it may be, but is all of the wiring coming in and out of it hardened? In other words, all of those wires will act as one big antenna for an EMP strike. I think solar panels will act as a large antenna as well, frankly. So an average person's experience with EMPs is thankfully only via naturally occurring events such as lightning strikes. With these events, most electronics and electrical power grids can be safeguarded by basic surge protection systems. The only exception to this would be a coronal mass ejection or a CME which happens several times a day but rarely affects us here on Earth. So those come out of the sun, by the way. The largest CME event, by the way, occurred in history and hit us in nine, or sorry, in 1859. It knocked out the telegraph system around the area of impact. It caused sparks to fall from the telegraph lines. It shocked operators on both ends of the lines and even caused some fires at the telegraph stations. We've had one near miss since that time back in 2012 where a CME missed the earth by only a week. And the chance of another CME having a large impact on our electrical grid soon is about 12%. Now, 12% doesn't seem very high, but again, that can change. So CMEs are from the sun. They're rare. And they cause mainly localized events. Now, one thing that I will take note with him on is he's talking about lightning strikes and the fact that As long as things are handled correctly with surge protectors and so on, you typically don't lose things in a lightning strike. I saw a video about two months ago, maybe a month and a half ago. A gentleman put this up on the internet, on social media, and it happened in the middle of the night. A lightning strike that hit an area of his yard 
that then traveled underground up through one vehicle, the carport, all the way over to where the ground wire was running into for the house. It wiped out two electrical panels, the meter, of course, and did extensive damage. It's lucky it didn't light the place up on fire. And I'm not exaggerating what I just said. Now, will an EMP be that bad? I have no idea. Doubtful. But I do take note with him saying lightning's typically not that big of a deal, which it's typically not, but there are cases like the one I just explained to where it can do a lot more damage than most people think. In this case, it left a hole in the ground about the size of a large tree trunk, and that lightning bolt traveled. You could see literally in the dirt where it traveled all the way across the ground, came up into the vehicle, wiped it out, went to the carport, metal carport, and then went on over to the house or the garage as well. So a lot of things can happen in those particular situations and more than most people think. Now, I'm going to get into in a moment the three waves of an EMP and how that may or may not affect solar panels. So hang tight. We'll come right back. Don't forget, Alan Stack, Stack Optical, when it comes to all of your eyewear needs, including the exam itself, Alan Stack can help you with that, and then he can design eyeglasses For whatever you need to do, you could be working in the shop. You could be a welder that needs specific glasses for when your hood's on. You could be somebody that works as an auto technician and you want the bifocal part up above. All sorts of things that he can do for you, including airline pilots, you you guys that fly airplanes and so on. Alan can design a lens to really do whatever you need to do for your lifestyle and or in the situations we're talking now, which would be making sure you've got another good pair in your bug out bag. Alan can do all of that. 303 Three two one one five seven eight. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures all over the country. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create an amazing year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream, even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. You need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20 plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916 
or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and in most cases an indoor shop to perform the calibration. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. All right, we are back talking about EMP strikes, what happens in them. Will your solar panels survive, those of you that may have them? And where are you going to be with it? And again, there's no, by the way, I don't care what you read, there's no definitives on this. It's going to be, I think, a lot of just depends. And he gets into a little bit of this in a moment, which I'll discuss. But electromagnetic pulses don't destroy things physically as an explosion would. They're pulses of magnetically charged energy that comes in waves, three waves, that build upon each other and cause system overloads, which is what we've heard Bill Forshin and other experts talk about. The guys from EMP Shield will talk about the same thing. It's that overload and the heat generated in those overload that causes all the problems. So wiring acts like a conductor that leads them straight to the heart of the circuitry. Microchips are especially vulnerable EMPs from a nuclear blast come in three waves. These waves are referred to, we've heard Dr. Forshton talk about this, E1, E2, and E3. E1, the first pulse to strike, is the most destructive force, which is equivalent to a jolt of about 50,000 volts of electricity. It happens in a sudden burst of gamma radiation within seconds of a thermonuclear blast saturating the air with its range, I'm talking about a tsunami of energy encircling ground zero with thousands of miles around it. Okay? That's an E1. An E2 is the second wave after an EMP, and it's the easiest to protect against. It can be experienced as the power in the average bolt of lightning, which can be withstood with the right protective measures in place. However, it will strike only after the initial blast of energy has hit, and your grid is likely destroyed at that point. E3, this is a slower-moving pulse of energy and lasts to strike after a nuclear detonation. The E3 electromagnetic pulse creates currents that are induced geomagnetically along extended wiring systems like telephone and power lines. And as the charge travels, it fries everything it encounters along the way, including power grids, transformers, and so on. Smaller electronics without long transmission lines connected to them would likely survive this third and final wave although at this point they're probably already destroyed by the previous two waves. Bottom line, an EMP strike over any country, especially here in the U.S., it's a different world we're going to live in. And some of you are saying, well, gosh, what's the risk of this? Well, you know, Bill Forston, who's written the books, 
one second after and on, and he's not – this is what I like about Bill. I don't think Bill writes books just to write books or to make money, I should say. I don't get that impression from him at all. We've become pretty good friends here uh, through the airwaves and, and have had really good conversations and even some emails you know, off of the show. And the one thing about Bill that I appreciate is, yes, he writes to give people information. He writes historically. It's really where he started. And then I think he writes – you know, for, for folks to have some pleasure at the same time. I will say, I don't think he wrote One Second After and all the way up to his new book, Five Years After, which you can get now. It's coming out this month. I, I don't really get the impression, and Charlie, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't get the impression that Bill's writing that just to make money. I think Bill's done okay in his career, militarily speaking, and since with all the other books and things he's done. I don't think Bill does it just because he needs the cash like some writers do. I don't, I don't get that impression from him. At all. I'm guessing that if Bill didn't write another book, financially speaking, he'd be just fine. That's the impression that I get from Bill. And given that, my point is, I don't think he's writing these for the hype. I don't think he's doing it just because he's trying to hype people up to then buy books. And I'll be the first to tell you that I think a lot of gold and silver guys do just that. They hype up the end of the world stuff so they'll sell you gold and silver. I don't see Bill doing that. He's not hyping things up just so he can sell more books. That's not what he does. And at this point, he did one second after and the string of them thereafter. He doesn't have to do that. He's legitimately saying the concern is high, and in his world, in his mind, it's not if an EMP strike happens, it's when will one happen. That's how he views it. And, and I, by the way, I appreciate him greatly because I think he is spot on with a lot of his thought process john and cheyenne you're next what's going on sir so how are you today i'm great you (laughs) i'm good um so let's talk about what you were just saying once the grid is fried it'll take two to five years oh minimum get it back up. that's right minimum john you're correct because you know go look at any sub and if the substation gets fried those transformers in a substation are three years out right and don't come in our country. They don't come from here. There's, I think there's still one manufacturer maybe in the U.S., but they're all over the world. So if it's a natural occurring EM pulse that maybe takes out half the planet, then it's a fight for who gets what. True. Good point. If it's a that's true. So if it's a sun, if it's a sun event, yeah. Yeah, that's even a bigger deal because you're right, John. Now, now it's an extinction level type event because half the world's affected. Right. So what, wouldn't it be better, instead of talking about how we could survive with solar panels, how we could survive with no electricity? Uh, agree. My, my, yeah, the point I'm trying to make here is I think there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. false pretense over, oh, I'll be uh-huh. fine, I have solar panels. Eh, don't <laughs> be so sure of that. You know, we hear that all the time. In the Well, if there's a power outage, my solar panels. Well, if you don't have battery backup and you're tied to the grid, you have your nothing. solar panels aren't you That's have right. nothing. That's right. You, you have, have nothing. You have to have the solar wall or some kind of alternate uh, power supply. Correct. I know some people that have uh, windmills up here, but they also have a generator. So when the generator kicks on, even if it's a small one, it's enough to excite the field in the windmill so the windmill can start generating. Gotcha. So, but all that has to be tied in. And if you're grid-tied, what's to say your solar, so say your solar system's grid-tied with battery backup? If it comes in over the grid, you just fried your, your all your electronics anyway. I got a great question that just came in. I'll get your opinion because I've got mine. 
question is, will uh-huh. you actually feel, you know, what will it actually feel like during an EMP? John, you won't know it hit. No. You won't you, feel a thing. You know what? You may, you ever been close enough to a lightning strike where you get that little tingle? Yeah, you might have. And again, you may, depending that, upon you may what you're that. near and so on, you may feel uh-huh. some of that. But if you're just standing outside your house or, frankly, inside your house, uh, you know, if you're out in the middle of a field someplace, there's nothing near you, there's no uh, power wires or anything along those lines, I don't think you'd feel a thing. No, but you'd know. Oh, you'd, you'd be able to see to the aftermath house. of it. Darn right you would. Oh, yeah. So just to, a couple of weeks ago we were talking, and you said call them the following week, but I was out of town. Um, water. Water. You could live for about three days without drinking water, and right. then you're dead. Right. Yep. So the best $30 anybody who's concerned could spend would be on a, uh, a water filter. A good one. Uh, Sawyer, platypus, Bee Free. You want to go hardcore? There's a company called Grail, G R A Y L. Okay. They make one that also removes viruses, which some of the other ones, because in this country, we don't have a problem with viruses in True. The water. True. But if you're overseas, but if you want, they're about 90 bucks. But for. Thirty to forty dollars. You and I. I'm a big fan of Sawyer because of what they do. They're they're giving back to communities by every ten dollars you spend with them is a water filter that they donate to a third country. Mm, gotcha. So it's a, it's a really good company. But for thirty dollars, you can get a Sawyer Squeeze water filter at uh, Walmart. And it'll last you half a million gallons is what they guarantee it for. Yeah, I talked a little bit about that last week, John. The other thing I reminded everybody of is, you know, make sure that, number one, you've stored some water up. But once the stored water is out, here's something to think about I'll throw at you. Once the stored water is out, you're going to have a flood of people going to wherever the local rivers, creeks, things like that are. And it's going to be total anarchy as to who pulls water out of a stream. Right. But what if you, you know, like right now I've got a couple of hundred gallons of rainwater. Right out of the box, if it for two people, my, me and my wife and my dog, a couple of hundred gallons of water, if you're just using it for drinking and stuff, that'll last two weeks minimum. Yeah, know? it'll last you. I, the way I figured it, for two people, not bathing, not cooking a lot with it and so on, but no. 55 gallons will last you 27 and a half days. That's a conservative number is what I figured last week. Right. And that's and not that's bathing. Fair. That's not really doing much in the way of washing. I mean, that's a little bit of water to add to your food and a teeny bit maybe to rinse a few things off with. But that's about it, John. Two people, 55 gallons, about 27 days. Cons- so and you got to be really – I mean, you got to be measuring out what you're doing at that point. You can't be just gulping. No, no. you got to say, all right, we, we average male needs three liters to survive a day. That's what they recommend. You got to make sure you drink your three liters to survive. But other than that, you shouldn't be wasting. That's that. right. Or maybe if you maybe if you're going to make some coffee, you use that out of your three liters. Potentially, then, although the one thing you have to remember about all of that is a coffee is a natural dehydrator, so you got to be yeah, careful with yeah. some of the things that you have along those lines. Again, you know, exactly. to your point, your your 200 gallons would do more than most people would have. You'd have the ability to wash some dishes and keep some things sanitary and so on, but. Really, if you think about it, anybody trying to even be some, you know, have some sanitary and, and do some things along those lines, that 27 days is probably cut in half with a 55-gallon drum, John. Oh, yeah. And even if you're on a well, 
Yep. And you have a generator, and you only run that generator to pump water. How long is the fuel for that generator going to last? Well, and if you haven't hardened your generator, it ain't starting. <laughs> exactly. So then That's what? a whole other topic. A, uh... Yeah, we should, you know, but how do you pump water out of a well that's maybe 400 feet deep? You don't. don't. It, it ain't coming up, John. Uh, exactly. It ain't. So I mean, you, you, you will not have, to my knowledge, unless there's somebody out there a lot smarter than me and can figure out some sort of a we hand do. pump system, good luck. Right. So then what do you do? You, you, you're back to what you said. You're at the river, you're at the creek, you're at the stream. And then, and then, like, it's, and then it's a matter of, and, that, and that, I didn't mention this you know, heavily last week because I don't really want to scare everybody, but think about that, John. You've got a local area, you know, and you, you take, especially here in the Front Range, but you know, even a smaller area like Cheyenne where you could have 50,000, 60,000 people there. Now, keep in mind, some right. people will start to trickle away as time goes by. But once the water starts running out and you figure out where the water sources are, it's high man on the totem pole that controls the water at that point. Yeah, well, I'm, you, all you have to do is look at 150 years ago how many battles were fought over water. Rights. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but so, and then that goes into that. There will be fights and deaths over who gets to drink at that point, John. Right. So that's where, you know, are you prepared to survive? I think I heard the guys that you know maybe from Franktown on one of the shows saying he's got an old army deuce and a half set up to where he can head to the hills. Okay. And it's so old and it's so for like a couple of weeks and survive because the way he's got it built out, uh, maybe it was on another show and it's old enough to where it doesn't have electronics or anything. And okay. he's got, it runs on diesel. Yeah. What, so you get out into the mountains, nobody now else is around and you have, to survive you hunt to survive you do all that but at what point do other people show up and try to take what's yours exactly i mean everything you just said john those things are in, in that scenario of what we're talking about those are the things that are going to happen that i don't know everybody's really thought through it's like okay yeah i'm gonna head to the hills okay head to the hills and then do what are, are you gonna what? keep fighting for your life every i mean it's, it's literally now an apocalyptic state that you live in and yeah. yes if you're prepared for all of that that's fine but you better have a plan as to where are you even going to go when you head to the hills because keep in mind every freeway for the most part is going to be jammed full of vehicles so now how are you getting around how yeah are you do you know the back roads correct you have maps you know here's the thing the the basicest thing john and we've talked about this before and i'll say it again if there's no garmin how are you navigating if you don't know how to use a map and a compass good point Exact. You know, how many people know basic land navigation? And yes, you could look at it on YouTube. But if you've never gone out and actually tried to do a little bit of land nav, it's a lot harder than it it, it seems. If you didn't, if you didn't, admin. if you didn't grow up, uh, it's funny. I was going through this the other day with somebody that I knew, trying to you know show them or you know walk them through. I guess you could say over the phone how to read. A topo map, John. You'd be surprised how many people yeah. have never read a topo map, don't know how to read it, don't know what it means or anything. And unless you read grew right up enough. with those things, you're not going to know how to read one. Or you were in the military. That I didn't grow up with it growing up in the city, but I learned it in the military. Got I took it. a couple of land. I mean, I learned it just because, you know, we hunted and fished and did a yeah. lot. And my dad, you know, every time we would go hunt into a different section, you'd go down to them. You know, to the local, you know, in our case, it was the Boulder Army store, and they had a, 
uh, map system where you looked up the index and then there was a big drawer system where you got your big flat yeah. map out as long as they had the one you needed. Hopefully they did. And anyways, long story short, you learned at an early age how to read a map. Right. And if you do to this day, like we're going for a week backpacking on starting Monday morning and I have a Garmin, I have a, a you know, a, a satellite transmitter and I have a compass and I have a map in my pocket. Yep. Because yep. if all that stuff breaks, right. then what are we going to do? Well, and everything you're saying, John, you've got to think through yeah. all of this stuff on the front side. And, and the reason I want to talk about the solar panel thing is, again, yeah. I think there's folks that have a big, mm-hmm. you know, false sense of security. Even some of the smaller yeah. little foldable solar things that will, you know, charge up your, your little, uh, you know, solar battery uh, you know, your battery pack, which I'm going to talk about those as well. Keep in mind that battery pack, unless you've hardened it, isn't going to work either. So the reality is a lot of these devices that we think we're going to have to utilize probably won't. Yeah. So that's why the first thing most people should do, especially guys like that live further out in the country, is try to harden your house. So Correct. So at least your stuff in the house. And what was the name of that company that sponsors you? EMP Shield. EMP Shield. EMP Shield. Because I look... Yeah, I, I looked at their website, and it's not a super big expense. It's not. No, you can you can harden no. different things, a vehicle, house, components of the house, relatively inexpensively worth doing. Um, you know, now, and really quick, too, John, the other thing some folks should think yeah. about, especially those that live out and about like yourself where you've got a well and so on, the other thing I would be looking at is, okay, is there – the ability to have a old diesel tractor that no matter what's going to fire up because it's all mechanical, could you put a pump on the back of your PTO and then pull water up out of the ah. well? Granted, you're going to have diesel fuel for only X amount of time, but could you utilize something like that to pull water out of a well in that particular case? Those are the things folks need to be thinking through on the front side. You could probably do that. I, I didn't, you know, that's something I didn't even think about. There's the PTO so, on the back of a tractor, as you know, will run all sorts of implements and things. Every, yeah. But what if you... I mean, you can uh, even run a generator off of it. If you had a generator kicking around and you needed power, you could literally put it, you know, hook it up, belt system or direct drive, you know, a, a PTO yeah. shaft, whatever. You could hook up to the back of a, have a little trailer with a generator mounted on it and actually run the generator off the tractor if you had to. Yeah, and even if you had an old pickup truck like I do, that would... I think you told me to get the uh, for the eighty Chevy. Just get the uh, HE module. Get an extra there. module for the HEI. Throw that in right. a hardened box, and yeah, you'd always be able to uh-huh. start that thing up at that point. Exactly. Right. What's to say you couldn't uh, connect one of those twelve to one twenty inverters to the battery once it's running? Correct. To get Great a point. little bit of power. Great point. Yeah, and and, so, and or you know, there's all sorts of ingenious ways to. Again, with even the taking a wheel off and mounting something onto the wheel hub assembly, running a generator, a pump. I mean, again, if you've got something that's turning, you then have the ability to run a pump and things like that. But again, John, these things need to be thought about prior to an event like this, not right after. Because afterwards, this is something everybody doesn't realize. Afterwards, until the dust settles, it's pandemonium. My old neighbor, until he built his new house, had an old mechanical windmill. Okay. He always would have had water because it worked on the wind yep. and it filled the cistern. Or if you have, you know, this is something else. A lot of folks have land and have the ability to have a a low, how do you want to say that, you know, kind of just a hand dug, 
you know, small well where it's fed, you know, naturally, and you just run a rope and a bucket down like they use, like they did in the old days. I mean, they're, they're, back in the day, yeah, yeah. Some people have that ability, <laughs> and if you do, you should be thinking about having the ability to do that. Yeah, that's like I know, not too far from my land on a neighbor's land, he's got a natural spring. Okay, there, there's where you need to have some, some partnerships, I guess you could say when it comes to those things, to be able to utilize that when that time comes. Because, again, John, and as you know, that's where anarchy will yeah. start. You know, you'll, you'll end up with folks that will control different sections of streams and rivers and so on and headwaters right. and diverting water. I mean, it's just going to be – and these are things nobody talks about, but that's going to be the stuff that's going to make it hard. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there'll be food, but you won't have any way to prepare it. Nope. But there won't be water. Water's going to kill us. Water will be the one that's going to be the hardest thing I think for most people to handle because they've just John they've I'm sorry to say we live in an entire society now where very few people can turn a screwdriver. I'm not <laughs> no, exaggerating when I say that. I, very few people can run a power tool, a screwdriver, mm-hmm. a wrench, know anything about any of that stuff at all. Well, I'll give you an example. I'm going camping next week. And uh, my water filtering system, because I hate filtering water because it's just such a tedious process, that I've got a three-liter bag that I fill with dirty water and I let gravity do it. Wow. I walk 10 minutes, I filter three liters of water via gravity. Wow. You know, so, you know, like when we get to camp, we'll filter up, Mm -hmm. we'll fill our bladders and then filter enough water for that night and the next morning in in a bag I carry. All clean, and then I can put, clean my filter out, back flush it, and put it away, and not have to do it. There's some guys that backpack, and they don't want to carry extra water, so they filter every time they come to a stream or something. Their next sure. liter of water that they're going to drink. Sure, that's uh, that's one of the ways. So, but what I'm saying is, have the ability to filter yep. it in your house. Yep, agree, John. Have a good day. Thanks, John. I appreciate it very much. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Ready Radio KLZ five sixty. Summer hailstorms have returned with a bang, leaving roofs across the front range in need of repair or replacement. You need to know what options will be best for your home. Here at Roof Savers Colorado, we pride ourselves in helping homeowners maintain their roofs through hail or shine. We work with any insurance company to get your damaged roof the replacement it needs. However, if you are looking to get more life out of your current roof, we also offer a 100% plant-based rejuvenation treatment that gives new roof performance without all the new roof costs. With over 20 plus years of roofing experience, we believe in helping you determine the right solution for your situation and through every season. If you think your roof has been a victim of hail, contact us to set up your free inspection and receive an honest evaluation about the condition of your roof. Call today at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916 or go to RoofSaversCO.com to keep a durable roof over your head. Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and in most cases, an indoor shop to perform the calibration. 
calibrations. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. Have you been thinking about a new pair of glasses? Maybe some prescription sunglasses? Well, look no further than Stack Optical. Since 1968, yes, you heard me right. Since 1968, Stack Optical has been providing the most comprehensive quality ocular care for their patients. This family-owned business is proud to be one of the few optical offices that has their own on-site eyeglass production and eyeglass repair studio. Stack Optical, located at 2233 South Monaco Parkway, features the most extensive lines of eyeglass frames, sunglasses, and contact lenses to ensure that you love your appearance and experience superior comfort. Our comprehensive eye exams proactively diagnose eye conditions and diseases while providing the most accurate vision care. We welcome you to experience a lifetime of superior ocular care from doctors that are devoted to your eye health. Call now for your $69 eye exam, 303-321-1578. At Stack Optical, you'll see the difference. In such an uneasy and unpredictable time that we live in, growing your own food is becoming a necessity. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is a local family-owned and operated business that specializes in custom cedar greenhouses. Owners Jason and Annette have over 35 years of construction management experience and have built multi-million dollar greenhouse structures all over the country. Colorado Greenhouse Builders is one of the few companies that specializes in geothermal heating. Geothermal heating utilizes the sun's light and heat to create an amazing year-round growing opportunity. Their geothermal heating has proven to be a gardener's dream even in our cold Colorado winters. They can provide a custom consultation that includes an evaluation of your site and then provide recommendations and a custom plan for all your growing needs. Call Colorado Greenhouse Builders at 720-539-9806 or find them at ready-radio.com. That's ready-radio.com. All right, we are back. Ready Radio, KLZ 560, talking about, and enjoyed John's conversation, by the way, talking about EMPs. And I've had several questions along these lines as well, and some are even saying, you know, again, what will it feel like? Will you hear anything? Will it be like, you know, being nearby a heavy electrical jolt, lightning, something like that? I, folks, I'll be honest. I'm not sure anybody really knows the answer to this. We've not really ever had one of that significance for anybody to really know there's been some testing that's been done and so on but frankly i don't know i mean the other thing that you have to think about is there's a lot of folks out there that have you know you know medical devices you know ventilators that folks are on cpap machines for at night pacemakers all those sorts of things will all of those you know be impacted i honestly i don't know i i don't have an answer to that. Now, I can tell you from my dad, he'd be the first to tell you this, he's got a pacemaker, and if you have a pacemaker, you can no longer weld. Reason being is the, the electronic waves that are just coming off of what's happening while you're welding, he, he can't even stand 
nearby. So even if I fire the welder up, I have to make sure that he's a long distance away. I mean, a good 20, 30 feet away from me. Because if you're welding anywhere near, or sorry, if you're standing anywhere near somebody welding with a pacemaker, you can, he can feel it. We didn't know that. My dad got a pacemaker put in, and we didn't really know all of this, and we happened to be doing some things, and he was nearby, and luckily we kind of figured out what was going on, or he did, and he walked away, and it wasn't a big deal. But it could have been, and if you don't know about that, it can be a really big deal. So, again, I'm, I'm even wondering if you've got a pacemaker and there's a big EMP, knowing what I know about what I just said about pacemakers, could it be a factor? I think it actually could be. Again, these are things that you don't hear many people talk about because I don't think we really know the answers. So, your home solar system after an EMP. There's usually minimal damage to panels. In the case of lightning strikes, even when they're in very, flo- very close proximity, say 500 feet. This happened, this is the gentleman talking that wrote this article. This happened to us three years ago when a fork of lightning hit near our house during a rainstorm. The panels themselves were just fine. It was a circuitry that connected them to everything, it connected each of them together and so on that blew. This was an expensive lesson in surge protection. Experiments in thermonuclear Response indicate that it would be the same in the case of an EMP attack, although that may be the least of your problem if the EMP was a result of a massive full-scale nuclear war. With enough forewarning, you could disconnect your panels and protect your components by encasing them in a Faraday cage. Again, folks, I think, and, and this guy's great, but that's wishful thinking. The idea of the enemy, of course, would be to not give any type of notice as to what's going to happen, and you're you're not going to have a chance to do that. If you're not doing this stuff way in advance, it's not going to get done. It's not like, you know, some rogue opponent to the U.S. is going to say, okay, on uh, November the 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to launch an EMP. They're not going to do that. You know, the foggiest idea. They're going to launch that, that type of an attack when we least expect it and where they know it would do the most damage. And personally, there's two times of the year I feel that they would be the most effective. When it's super, super hot outside, everybody's running air conditioning and you're on your way home at 5 o'clock in rush hour traffic. That's one area where it would be super effective. Downside then is it's longer daylight days, which help people. My gut feeling is if another country were to attack us, it will be in the dead of winter, evening drive, when everybody's on their way home, all the lights are on, it's super cold out, you need heat. You need electricity. You need lights. If I was a foreign country looking to do damage to the U.S., I would do it in a time of the winter when it's super cold, might even be snowy in a lot of parts of the country. You need all of those things to survive. And if I was another country launching something on us, I wouldn't do it in the middle of summer. I'd do it in the dead of winter when you have the shortest daylight days there is. And you need electricity to survive. Personally, if I'm a rogue country, luckily I'm not, but that's what I'm doing. Now, Am I saying anything out of line and giving anybody any ideas? No, folks, believe me. These other countries and people that are against us have already thought through all of this. I'm not the only one to sit down and determine when would the best time be to launch something like this. They've already been through that, trust me. 
That I can assure you of. I hope our side has enough smarts. That's the side I worry about. Has our side sat through and thought through all of this enough to know what I just said? I would hope so. Although anymore, I wonder. I really do. I mean, after listening to Dr. Scott yesterday, Faulkner, who was with us, who's, again, a great sponsor of even this program now, which I appreciate very much. And if you need to get a hold of Dr. Scott, reach out to me. I'll let you know how to get a hold of him. He is literally somebody that will even help you in this whole realm of things, even getting prescriptions and things like that ready. When it comes to the end of the world stuff, he is there to help you be prepared best you can. So if you need anything from Dr. Scott, please let me know. I'd be happy to help you with all of that as well. And really quick, let me give you his phone number so that you actually have that if you need it. If you need to make an appointment or talk about anything we've discussed today when it comes to the medical sides of things, 303-663-6990. Dr. Scott Faulkner down here in Castle Rock. Anything you need, he's the guy to talk to along those lines. Dave and Thornton, what's going on, sir? Nothing much. Hey, John, I just wanted to reiterate what you guys were talking about. You know, um, that's the whole purpose of war. If you're going to go to war, it's going to be a sneak attack, and you're not ever going to know about it. And I'd like to use the 9-11 attacks as an example, but, you know, I think uh, as it's coming out more often that the FBI and CIA actually knew what these guys were up to, but they drugged their feet and let it happen. Yep. But generally speaking... Yeah, it's it, it's going to happen, and they're going to do it when they can do the yep. most damage. And, yep. Um, I mean, I mean, David, just you know, really quick, it just it, it, if you're trying to do damage to the U.S., that's when it makes the most sense. I mean, this isn't, in my opinion, rocket science. No, it isn't. No, it isn't, and it, it, it doesn't take. Especially with the, uh, an EMP, it doesn't take a whole lot of sophistication to do something like that. Uh, we we can see already that the Iranians are supplying the, the Russians with um, drones. Right. So who would have ever thought that? Right. So you know. Yeah, it, I mean, all, all it takes, Dave, is a rogue country or a proxy country. This, you know, this is the biggest thing I worry about. You take a country like China that doesn't want to have their name on this, or a country like Russia that doesn't want their name on it for obvious reasons. They go find some proxy country, some rogue proxy country that they can supply the items necessary. They go out on a container ship and launch this stuff off out in the middle of the ocean, and it goes up into the atmosphere, detonates, and we're done. It's, it's history at that point. Yeah, and, and worse than that, John, with everything that's been going on with our country in the last 10, 15 years, uh, my big concern would be traders from within. You know, you you got these, these kids who've got access to military technology because they're in the Air Force or they're in the Army, and they decide that they'd like to go rogue with another country, right? Yeah. So that, that absolutely would be a, a big concern. The big thing is right now is uh, to be preparing now. Yeah. Like always, you know. That's right. Like you talked about on, on drive radio. Vehicle maintenance isn't just when it comes and you're getting ready for a, a road trip. Vehicle maintenance is a year round thing. If That's you right. notice a little drips of that or That's right. something's not running right, you fix it immediately. This is another one of those scenarios. I mean, you don't have to do it all at once, but you probably should be doing it piecemeal, buying a little bit of a couple of Faraday cages, buying some extra water storage for, uh, uh, ability. Stocking up on medicine, stocking up on disinfectants, yep. and, and those kind of things that you're probably going to need. Yep. And, you know, doing it little by little. And it, I'm sure it's going to take time. It's going to take planning. It's going to take up space in the garage or the basement. But if you're serious about surviving it and not becoming a victim, should it ever happen, then, then you, you'd better get on the ball 
sooner rather than yep. later. No, Dave, you know what? Everything you just said, spot on. This isn't something we're trying to scare anybody into doing anything or make them go out and spend all sorts of money, which, by the way, I don't think you need to spend gobs and gobs of money. Just start chipping away at the little things that you know you'll need, you and your family will need if something like this were to happen. And just even sit around the dinner table talking through this. Again, not to scare your kids, but to say, listen, kids, if this were to happen, here's our meeting point. This is what we need to do. This is where we need to get to. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could be talking about in a in a non-scary way just to make sure that you and your family are prepped. Yeah. yeah. That's all. And, and you know, and it, it, it's the same thing about, you know, you, you have vehicle insurance and homeowner's insurance for the same thing for the just-in-case. That's right. And that's why you keep up on, on, on your, your, your payments every month to your insurance company. And another thing, I, I've been listening to a couple of um, guys who've actually seen combat, you know, special forces, yeah. sales and stuff, and um, they said the best thing that you can do for, to prepare for anything is just to resign yourself to the fact that, which we all know, we're all mortal. We're all going to die at yeah. some point. The thing is that if with enough planning, at least you can decide when you're going to die. True. Yes, I agree. If, if, you've, got, if you've got plenty of uh, supplies, if you've got plenty of uh, training, then that, that, that actually feeds into your own confidence of, okay, I'm going to make it. X amount yep. of days or X amount of years, but and then when it runs out, then it runs out, and we may have to go out and scavenge and become savage, or hopefully things have come back around, or we're just going to die. But you, you've got to be able to wrap yourself around that reality. Agree. Of this, this is what what it is. Agree. And the sooner you can do that, the the, the clearer you can think. That's right. And prepare. That's right. Good. You, you know, know what, Dave? That that you know that whole conversation. Uh, I think I'll dovetail into that next week and just talk about that whole mental preparedness that folks need to get themselves into. Not in a scary way, but just in a thoughtful way. So, Dave, I appreciate that. That gives me some some info, and I'll, I'll kind of dovetail into that next week. Dave, I'll let you go. We're getting close to the end. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. By the way, producer Ann just told me that Dr. Scott Faulkner, those of you that maybe don't know who he is, he's joined our team of great sponsors, by the way. And if you need to get a hold of Dr. Scott, all of inf- all of his information now is on all of our websites. So Fix It Radio, Drive Radio, Ready Radio, Rush to Reason, you name it, he's there. So if you need to get a hold of him directly, it's really easy. Go to ready-radio.com. He and all of our other sponsors, by the way, are listed there from growing your own food to insurance to you name it. We've got you covered. And if you've got any desire at all to be a part of what we do here, please reach out. And I will help you with all of that as well. All right, we'll be right back here with our next program. In this case, it's Rush to Reason. If it's a replay, I cannot tell you what's next. Again, this is a live show on August the 4th. Thanks for listening. Ready Radio, KLZ 560. Views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.